Last week, Christian shared the story about the Apostle Paul and how he came to faith, how he became a follower of Jesus Christ. This man who had violently opposed Christianity became its fiercest proponent and prophet. You know, I can't think of anyone who has influenced the world who has done more for the cause of Christ during his years on earth than Paul. Can you? Besides Jesus himself, he seems to be the most influential man of Christianity and Christian history. Every generation has looked to his example for inspiration and courage. Millions of Christians have been encouraged by his letters, by those letters that he wrote by the Spirit of God, who have been included in in our uh, scriptures today. Thirteen of our 27 New Testament books were written by this man. His influence on the whole church is perhaps greater than all the other apostles combined, if you want to look at it that way. And I wondered, how is this possible that one person could have that much influence? How is it that one man in some back corner country of the world could have such an impact on the rest of the world, such influence worldwide? And I thought of two things. First of all, Paul got it figured out, what is truly important. He figured out what life is about and what is really important in life. He figured out that what our our mission is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he then, secondly, gave himself totally to that. He didn't hold anything back. He was all in. There was no other agenda in his life but the agenda of Jesus Christ. And because of these things, Paul was able to have tremendous influence. And anyone else that does the same can have tremendous influence also. Dwight L. Moody is famous for saying, The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. I'm not sure that's true because I see in Paul a person who is fully consecrated to God. And I see the difference that he made, the influence that he had, the impact that he had in literally thousands and thousands of lives. Dwight L. Moody, by the way, decided that he was going to be such a man also. And so he rose up to the occasion. He answered the call of God in his life, and he influenced many for Christ also in his generation. The great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples is in Matthew 28. Christian shared that with us last week. He gave it not only to the 11 remaining disciples, but he also gave it to all followers of Christ. And he said, we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then in Acts 1, verse 8, as Jesus was getting to go back to heaven, and as he was going back to his Father, he brought his disciples together one last time, and he said to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now on this map of the first century, we see how far Christians actually went. Over here in the right end of the Mediterranean Sea, there's this little tiny country that's called Israel. And all of Jesus' earthly ministry occurred right here in this little space of land. And the Apostle Paul came to Christ during this time as he went up to Damascus to get the Christians. But as Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, where are you going to be your witnesses? He said, you're going to begin here in Jerusalem. 
And then you're going to spread out and you're going to go next to Judea and involve more of that territory. And then you're going to go further and you're going to go even up into Samaria, which was another place that was, was like a, a place that they didn't even want to go. That was where their uh, despised Samaritans lived. And then eventually through the cause of Christ, the, the Apostle Paul was going to spread all the way up around this way and other Christians are going to spread all the way around here until the whole Roman Empire would be impacted by the message of Jesus Christ. But understand this. God isn't just interested in geography. God isn't just interested in countries or in lands or territories and regions. He's interested in people. And those countries and lands and territories represent places that are, are, are inhabited by people who don't know God. People who don't know Jesus Christ do not know the salvation that we now enjoy in Jesus Christ. God is interested in people, in lost people. The Apostle Paul, within days of his conversion to Christ, he was out sharing his with other people. His name was Saul then. He came to Christ, as you recall, on the road to Damascus when he was blinded and Jesus confronted him about persecuting his church. For three days he's blind and then Ananias came to him and he explained to him with Jesus that was talking and that Jesus had called him, commissioned him to do some great things. Saul was baptized into Christ and immediately it says in Damascus and the surrounding area, he began talking about his faith and even debating with others and and, and preaching very strongly to the Jews of that area in particular. The Christians were baffled. Here's this guy that was persecuting us, and now he's one of us? Does that make sense? Why is he speaking more eloquently, more courageously than we are? And the people of the region eventually wanted to reject him as well. In fact, the people of Damascus, within a short time, came after him. They decided they wanted to be rid of Saul. And so... They watched the city gate as he tried to leave, and he couldn't leave for several nights. Finally, one night, some of his friends got a basket, and they lowered him down to the street outside the city walls in a window that was on that wall of that city. He went on to Jerusalem, where he was befriended by Barnabas. Barnabas plays a very big part in this story, too. He's the first person who accepted Paul as he went into Jerusalem, accepted him as a brother-in-arms. Acts 9.28 says that Paul moved freely about Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with the Greek Jews there, and they too tried to kill him. Tell you what, Jerry, I'm going to move up here. We have a wire problem on the mic, and I'll kill this one here. When the church learned about his second attempt on his life, the brothers sent him away from Jerusalem. They sent him up to Tarsus, which was Saul's hometown. And he spent quite a bit of time there. And, and in the Galatian letter, he says he spent several years around that area. And he continued to learn about the Lord, continued to grow and develop. And then his friend Barnabas brought him from Tarsus to a city called Antioch. Used to be the name of this church. And it was chosen because Antioch is a famous place for Christianity because here was one of the strongest churches that ever existed. This was a church that had seven preachers church that was growing mightily in strength, and, and God was doing some tremendous things in this church, and the church was developing, the church was maturing, but the church was missing something. 
The church was missing this mandate, this commission to go out and to share the gospel with people that didn't know Jesus yet. What did God have in mind there? What plans did the Lord want them to learn about? Let's read in Acts 13. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Saul, Barnabas, and the other preachers at Antioch were strengthening the church month after month, year after year. But now the Spirit of God was saying, enough's enough. The job is to get out of here. The job is to go beyond where the gospel has gone. The job is to branch out to other areas and take the good news there as well. And so Barnabas and Saul are chosen by the Spirit of God as the very first missionaries. Many missionaries today, these were the first two. And once he became a missionary, Paul never looked back. He never did anything else. He continued to preach the gospel of Christ until his death some 20 years later. Paul eventually made three long missionary journeys that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. He spread out throughout the Roman Empire, and in each journey it seemed like he went a little bit further, and he did a little bit more. And on these journeys he planted churches, and he preached the gospel, and he gave spiritual strength and encouragement to the early Christians. He also wrote many of the letters during this time that we read in our New Testament. Acts 13 and 14 talks about his first missionary journey. You see it here recorded in the red line, starting here, going down across Cyprus, working its way up to the coast at Perga, then to Pisidia in a town called Antioch and Pisidia, then Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and then he made a route coming back, visiting those churches, strengthening them once more, and then ended up back at Antioch again. These were days, these were weeks where the Spirit of God was leading Paul and his companions from place to place. They didn't map this out ahead of time. God just said, I'm going to send you. I want you to go out. And they decided to start at Cyprus and they worked their way through the island. And then they decided from there to go north across part of the Mediterranean Sea. And then from there they went on from city to city as God would lead them from place to place. In Pisidian Antioch, Paul preached a message very much like the message Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. He lifted up Jesus. And he said the people in Jerusalem saw Jesus. They heard Jesus, but they rejected Jesus. They rejected Him whom God has made both Lord and Christ. He recalled how the people had not recognized him as God's son, but instead had killed him and crucified him. They had laid him in a tomb, but that God had raised him from the dead, and it was through Jesus that people could be saved. This is the message that Paul preached in Pisidian Antioch. And the Jews were so taken by that message, that first Sabbath, that they said, we want to know more. Come back next week. Come back to our synagogue service the next Sabbath. And so he did. 
and yet the leaders were very upset because many people, in fact, the whole city, pretty much showed up the next Sabbath to hear Paul preach. And so the leaders became jealous, and they told Paul, you're going to have to stop. We don't want you to talk anymore. You're not invited back. And in Acts 13.46, Paul and Barnabas answered the synagogue leaders, and they said, we had to speak the word of God to you first as Jews. But since you reject it, since you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we're now going to turn to the Gentiles. For this is what God has commanded. I have sent you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And from that time on, Paul realizes this is his task. This is his responsibility. This is his ministry. And leaving Pisidian and Antioch, they go on to Iconium, to Lystra, and to Derbe. And then they turn back through all those places and back to Antioch. In their second missionary journey, you see how much broader the red line goes. Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to visit the other churches they had started on the first journey. But before they even left, they have a disagreement with each other as to whether to take John Mark along or not, because John Mark had failed them the first trip. And they have such a sharp disagreement that Barnabas decides, no, I'm not going to go with you anymore. And Paul says, that's fine, I don't want you to go anyhow. And so Barnabas and John Mark head back to strengthen some of the churches in that first place down near Cyprus. They come across and they strengthen the churches there. But Paul chooses Silas and he heads north. And he starts going up into an area we might call Asia Minor. And he starts visiting places that they had established, Lystra and Derby and Iconium, City and Antioch. He visits these places to strengthen. That's the purpose. And then he decides, once you get to Pisidian Antioch, God wants us to do something else. He wants us to go somewhere we haven't gone before. And he tries desperately to get into Mysia, which is this area up here, and Phrygia, and he's not allowed to go in. For some reason, nothing's happening. The Spirit is shutting doors. He tries to go to Bithynia, Acts says, which is the purple area at the top. And, and he tries to get up that area, and the doors shut again, and they keep wandering through not really with any fruit, not with any churches established. They get all the way over to a place called Troas, right there. And while they're in Troas, the Apostle Paul has a vision. He sees this vision of this man from Macedonia, which is way over in the top left corner of the map. And this man is saying, thank you very much. Good job. And he's saying to him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Obviously, the message is, we need to hear what you have to say. We need to hear what God is sending you to preach other places. How much more of a direct sign could you get? You know, you get a vision at night says, here I am in Macedonia. This is where you're supposed to come. Me, this is the target right here. Come and help us. And so Paul concludes, this is where God wants him to go. And they immediately get on a ship. They go over to the coast there in Neapolis and make their way to Philippi, the major city of that area. When he gets to Philippi, Paul tries to find a synagogue there, but there doesn't seem to be one. He learns instead that the Jews of that city are meeting now out at the riverbank on the Sabbath. And so he goes out there for the meeting place, and they're gathered there for this time of prayer and, and worship, but they don't really have a synagogue. And Paul begins to speak to them about Jesus. And a woman named Lydia... And her family 
become Christians. They accept the message in Christ, and they are baptized into Christ. And Lydia, who is a fairly wealthy woman, a a dealer in purple cloth, decides to invite Paul and Silas into her home. And so they start staying there. And day after day, he's going into the streets of Philippi, and he's trying to teach and influence people for Christ. And the Sabbath, he's gathering again at the the riverbank with the other believers there as this little church is starting to grow. There's a young girl who's a slave girl, and she is is, uh, possessed by the Spirit. And this Spirit gives her some kind of ability to predict the future. Whether she really could or not, she's convincing other people that she's telling the future. And her owners are making money by her fortune-telling. Well, she begins following Paul and Silas around, and she starts yelling something that's really very true. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they are telling you how to be saved. Well, that's true. And that was great that she did that, because by this evil spirit, they're recognizing the real servants of God. But she keeps saying it over and over again. And day after day, as Paul's trying to share the word of God with other people, this girl's right at his back again, yelling loudly, these men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way to be saved. And it became really annoying. So Paul eventually turns to her and says, evil spirit, come out of her. He commands the evil spirit to leave her. And her owners recognize they've lost their way to make money. And so they create a disturbance, a riot, and they grab Paul and Silas, and they're hauling them before the authorities. The authorities say, what have they have done? And, and, and then they decide they're going to beat them and imprison them. So they've been beaten. they put into the inner prison. They've got their ankles sh- shackled, and they're put in prison for the night. Let's read in Acts 16, starting at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Singing? singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Why were Paul and Silas singing? Midnight, they're locked in the jail. They have been beaten by an angry mob, then beaten by the authorities. They've been locked up. And they're singing. Because they counted it a joy to be in the center of God's will, to be doing exactly what God wanted them to do. Paul and Silas were thinking to themselves, wow, there's a lot of people here in Philippi that need Jesus. Apparently, uh, they they don't understand what this is about. What an opportunity. This is like I read uh, in one of his other letters. Paul says, I'm going to stay on at Ephesus for a while because God's put out this door of opportunity and there are many that oppose me. 
wait a minute. That's not how we think. But that's how Paul thought. As soon as he saw the opposition, he saw Satan rearing his ugly head against what he was doing. He said, this is the perfect place to serve God. This is where Christ is needed. And often we think, if we're in a situation like that, oh, this is terrible. This is painful. How can I possibly stop the pain? How can I possibly make myself more comfortable? And Paul didn't look at it that way. He saw an opportunity to serve Christ. He saw an opportunity to get the gospel out to people who are in the most darkness possible. Now we're getting somewhere, he must have thought. Now we're making a den in things. And he began to sing songs of praise. As they were singing, a violent earthquake hit the city. Their prison doors were open. The shackles fell off of their ankles. They were free to go. But Paul persuaded all of the other prisoners of that jail to stay put. And when the jailer showed up expecting to find everyone gone, Paul says, no, we're still here. And the man came in before him and fell on his knees and said, what must I do to be saved? How can I be saved? Tell me what you have to tell me. Give me the message. Give me the good news. And Paul and Silas did. And the jailer and his whole family believed in Christ and were baptized that very hour of the night. That's one of those places where I realize how important this belief and baptism thing is. There's an urgency there. There's an immediacy to that. In the middle of the night, even before he fed them, he and his family were baptized. Because of the Apostle Paul and his mission, we are finally in the story. We've been talking about this story since last September. We've been talking about how God worked through Adam and Eve and how he worked through Noah and how he worked through Abraham and as he worked through all the people of Israel, all of the journeys, all of the wanderings in the desert, all of the conquests of the promised land, all of the exile and and, uh, coming back to the land and rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple and all. We weren't in the story. Now we are. Because now Gentiles like us, non-Jews, are invited in. We are invited into the kingdom of God because Paul got what God was trying to say. He had been trying to say it for maybe 10 years and the church was stuck. Was stuck in places like Jerusalem and Antioch. It got a little ways out and it stayed with the Jews. Didn't go any further very much. And God's message finally got through. I love everybody. I want everybody to be saved, Jew or Gentile. And we are finally in God's lower story as well as the upper story because he's been preparing for this. He's been getting ready for this. He's been searching for the right person to do the job. And Paul came through. Paul's mission was so powerful because he knew who he was and what he was supposed to do with his life. Who was he? Well, he kept saying in his letters, I'm an apostle. That means I'm a messenger. I'm one sent by God with a vital message that everyone needs to hear. And what was he supposed to do? He was called to preach the gospel in places no one else had ever gone. Not where no one had ever preached Christ before. Now, who are we? What is our identity? Because if the key is to know who you was, who you are and what you're supposed to do, then who are we? What is our identity? All of us. Wonder about our identity. That's one of the biggest issues we have for our children. What is your identity? What is your identity? Maybe as an adult, you're not even sure this morning. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? And in our lives, we have all kinds of jobs, don't we? Whether we're paid for them or not. 
Some of us are paid a salary to perform a certain job, and that becomes, for some of us, our identity. Job's about that identity. Where some it's a responsibility. Maybe you don't work for a living, but you really work because you're a mom and you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. And, and your life is very busy, very difficult, but you don't earn a dime for that. You just have responsibility there. All of us also have family relationships. We have friendships. We have people that we're related to. And it may be as a brother or sister or parent or a child or a husband or a wife or just a friend. Is our identity in those relationships? Is that who we are? We're a friend. We're a husband. We're a wife. We're whatever. All of us, most of us today are Christians. And sometimes we realize that's our identity. We are are a Christ follower. But at other times, Christianity is kind of separated out to Sundays. Six days a week, I'm something else. But on Sunday, I'm a Christian and I go to church. You see, if we have struggles with this, then we really can't accomplish what we should for Christ. We cannot have the influence we should have because we're still wondering, who are we really? Which one of the hats I wear is on top? Is it my job? Is it my role as a husband or a father or a wife or a mother? Or is it because I'm a Christian? Because I'm a Christ follower and I owe my life to him. I would encourage you to get this right. That our identity is not in our jobs or our responsibilities. It is not in our relationships to other people, but it is to God first of all. We find our identity in God. We find our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. And that makes us who we are. We are Christ followers who first of all have this job to do whatever Jesus wants us to do. And so we listen to the Spirit of God that says, Now you should go here. Now you should do that. Next, I want you to take this step. We are his servants and we are his messengers. So what are we supposed to do with our lives? We're missionaries. Just like Paul was a missionary, you're a missionary. I'm a missionary. We are called to take the good news to our world. We are missionaries taking the good news of Jesus to people that we know, people that we will meet. Earlier we saw the maps of Paul's world. What does our world look like? Well, it looks like this. It's a mess. It's a bunch of roads. It's a bunch of counties. It's a bunch of little cities and towns and villages. And and this map represents millions of people, potentially. If you take in the whole D.C. area, all of northern Virginia, you're talking about a few million people, aren't you? And this is a, a massive world just unto itself. We are called to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, to our Judea, to our Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Recently, two people were baptized into Christ here at New Hope, Rose Tice and Barbara Roberts. We met Rose over a year ago when we started doing services once a month at Quarry Station Apartments. None of us knew Rose before that. But the reason we met Rose and others there is because this church made a decision that we're going to do some ministry to somewhere we haven't gone before. We heard of an opportunity there to have a service even just once a month. And so Sunday afternoon, third Sunday of every month, we go and we do a worship time. We've met the residents. We started developing relationships with people we didn't know before. And Rose is a decision 
Rose's life, Rose's following of Christ is because this church deliberately made a decision to reach out, to share the gospel where we didn't before. Barbara came to New Hope because her son, Anthony, started coming here. Anthony became a Christian here. He started telling his mother about the church. His son, Antonio, became a Christian here, and he helped influence Grandma, too. (laughs) And she's been coming and building that relationship with people. She made a decision, too, to follow Christ, to be baptized into Christ. As a church, we decided to take the good news to our community, and Rose's decision came out of that. As an individual, Anthony and Antonio decided to share the good news they found in Jesus with someone that they love, someone close by. And Barbara's decision is a result of that invitation. Earlier we recalled Dwight L. Moody's famous statement, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. The Apostle Paul made a decision to be that man for his generation. Dwight L. Moody made the decision to be that man for his generation. And every generation and every place in the world needs men and women who are fully consecrated to God, who will say, I am first a Christian. I am foremost a Christian. And that influences everything else about my life, my job, my family, where I live, what I do, because I belong to Christ. And my mission in life is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody I possibly can. Will we devote ourselves so to God, first of all, that he might use our lives and our witness to his glory? And will it be through us that he takes the good news of salvation to our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth? God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, I pray today for us. I pray that we would rise up with courage and conviction to that identity that you have given us in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would rise up to who we are in Christ, that we belong to Christ, we serve him first and foremost, that everything our life is about is directed by Christ and by his spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see our mission, what we are to do, that every one of us is a missionary, And we are to influence and we are to teach and we are to share your love. And we are to preach through our lives and through our words that good news that is only in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I pray for your blessing upon us that many more decisions like Rose's and Barbara's will occur in the very near future as each of us takes this responsibility seriously. And as each of us decides that we will be that man or woman, that teenager, that boy or girl that is fully consecrated to God so that this world can see Jesus because it's all about Jesus. Help us, Lord, to walk in your grace. Help us to share your grace with others. Help us to see the people that we've not even noticed before who are far away from you. Help us to get out of our comfort zones to experience pain even, to experience uh, difficulty and suffering, to uh, sacrifice whatever it may take, Lord, if you tell us to go, if you send us, if you encourage us, if you urge us, if you prompt us. 
May we respond in faith and obedience and love. And may your grace fill our lives so that it pours out into the lives of the people around us. We pray for your blessing, Lord, that your sweet mercies would be spread abroad, northern Virginia, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.